That's what history is. Yeah, we're live. We're live. We're talking about the lamest generation, old news, NFL Hall of Fame semifinalists, <laughs> and Brewster's Millions. <coughs> okay? Which I didn't, I didn't watch yet. But you know what I did? Here's what I did. I know it's old school, but I bought, I bought like a physical copy. Oh, can you get? Are we recording? Okay, so DVD sales have gone up, like in the past decade. Like we're selling, like not me personally, but people are buying DVDs again because they're yeah. tired of streaming. Yeah. So Christopher tired Nolan, of all the ads. Oh, well, all the ads and all the subscriptions. So they just rather buy the movies and play them on their cool. DVD player. So the reason I bought a hard copy of Oppenheimer's is Christopher Nolan actually pushed it out there. He said, hey, I want you to buy physical copies. That way you don't have to worry about streaming, dropping your thing. Exactly. So I bought it. it. It comes with a digital copy, but I also wanted the 4K. Uh, and I, so I watched it again the other night for the second time uh, on my phone. Still stunning. Like. Yeah. Just still blew me away. As well, a it's kind of like, you know, and it, this has been going on longer, but, you know, record sales, people buy records more than they buy any other physical medium for music. So they'll buy records way more than they'll buy CDs or obviously cassettes. Um, well, cassettes you know, and, and CDs were in many ways a convenience yeah, it was the way you took your music mobile so, with you. Yeah, so if you're not streaming music like on Spotify or Apple Music or whatever, most people would be buying the physical record. And and artists, music artists, still produce new albums and new music, you know, on vinyl, and they'll go sell them, you know, distribute them at record shops. So it's kind of this weird resurgence of like older physical media is making a comeback in this. Don't want to be beholden to Apple Music or Netflix or, you know, Prime. They want to be able to control the music they own or the movies that they own, which I think is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting, too, just from a co monthly cost perspective nowadays. Everybody mm -hmm. says by the time you yeah. add up all your streaming services, you might as well oh just get gosh. cable. Because it's, it's yeah, true. It's not cheaper anymore. Here, $9 there adds up real quick. Yeah, and then uh, Apple TV went from uh, seven bucks a month to ten bucks a month, and you know, three bucks—it's not going to bother too many people. But you do that a couple times a year to a couple different services. Yeah. It's no wonder that every every family's spending twelve thousand dollars more a year. <laughs> They're spending it on streaming services. I mean, it's it's one. I wouldn't be shocked. You, you may need to check your cable bill. You need to cut more than just the cord <laughs> if uh, you're spending twelve thousand dollars on streaming. I mean, but, but it adds up, right? Because everything you have to pay for everything now. Like, yeah. I don't pay to watch football, so we have an antenna. And so we'll watch whatever local game we can on broadcast, you know, Fox or ABC or CBS. Um, but with that said, I do have Amazon Prime, so I get to watch Thursday Night Football. But otherwise, that's it. So if the Packers aren't on a nationally broadcast game, mm -hmm. I'm not watching them that week because I don't want to pay for NFL Sunday Ticket or Red Zone or, all. you know, I don't want to subscribe to – NBC and Fox Sports just so I can watch 
my favorite football team. It's just because it adds up to hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yeah. I have I red zone years, the, the rabbit ears style, you know, and you can yeah. follow along as best you can. You rarely see the, your favorite team, but we pay for Peacock. So we get the Sunday night games and I, I okay. typically watch the Sunday night games and then, you know, whatever happens beyond rarely my favorite team, but yeah, it works. Yeah. So I've become more of a fan of whatever's on that. I don't have to pay for, and I just hope it's a good game. And then <laughs> I'll follow the Packers, you know, make sure I'll follow their score on online or something if they're not on. But yeah, it's, I'm just not paying for that anymore. Cause so Cameron, how do you feel about, uh, because sports interest is tricky. Like I want to be interested in premier league soccer, but I'm not going to pay for Peacock to watch it. Yeah. Cause I, my Saturday and Sunday mornings are not going to be spent watching soccer. Uh, but you know, I do have NBA League Pass, and I love it because I, mm-hmm. I get to watch all the Suns games. But what are your thoughts on the in-season tournament? You know, I, I Google can you explain? It. Can you explain what the in-season tournament is? So it's yeah, so incentive oh. put in by the NBA. You know, it's a long season; it's an eighty-two game season, right? So mm-hmm. the owners want that season to be as long as possible so they can make as much money as possible. But the players are pushing back and saying, Hey, 82 games is a lot, you know, player health, player longevity, that kind of thing. So there's definitely some tension between players and owners there. So the NBA's solution to that was to, Hey, let's incentivize these guys in a way that doesn't include championships to make them play hard during the season um, and avoid tanking and avoid, um, you know, stars sitting out, that kind of thing. So I get the, the reason behind it. And then um, they set up, cause not all games are, are tournament games. So selected games are put in then they just have a bracket and i think they're the finals happen sometime in, in early january december oh okay well you don't know this tournament as well as i do okay so six groups of five teams you play four games two away two home once against each other team so do you win a champ you win a trophy so these top top and each guy uh, on the roster gets half a million dollars oh yeah so the the top team in each group moves on and then there's one wild card and it was by point differential and so now there's eight teams left and um the eight teams that are left their 82 games will be these quarterfinals and semifinals that'll be 80 games 81 and 82 the rest of the league that didn't make it is going to have to get two extra games that they're going to make up next week they're just going to assign them to other teams and then the teams that go on to the championship will actually have an 83rd game for this season. Oh. Uh, they'll get the NBA Cup and they'll get half a million dollars each. And um, it has made this month a little bit more interesting because now there's eight teams that are playing for this trophy. Uh, you don't know if they'll make the playoffs. You don't know if because the Lakers are not great, but they've been blowing teams out in this in-season tournament. Plus, they have fancy new paint on the floor. So okay, yeah, yeah. those are those are wacky. Those are I like them. So it's like you know, in college football, 
you have the Big Ten regular season champs, and then you have the Big Ten championship game. Right. Or in, in college basketball, same thing. So it's kind of like, in a sense, two championships. Obviously, the finals is still the big one. Well, but, I think it, it equates more to college basketball in that in November, you do have tournaments that teams participate in. Yeah. And so yeah, okay. there's some excitement there and teams playing in a championship game of a tournament. They played two to get there. Or you said they get more money if they win. Oh, yeah, for the NBA, which half a million dollars to your highest paid players doesn't mean much. But your your veteran minimums, uh, yeah. your your two way players yeah, who like are making year. they're they're making maybe six hundred grand a year or, or a million two a year. Five hundred grand is quite a bit. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. I don't know about that. Um, all right. Here's, well, here's how I feel about that. Since you all asked how I feel. <laughs> Tell us. So it reminds me a lot of what the NFL is trying to do with Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift. This is so obvious. It is the same. An attempt to get a wider fan base and all of that. Um, it's, it's a little bit less egregious than the NFL, but it, so do you, it feels pretty contrived. It feels pretty. It, it's it. I, I you think it's scripted? These guys care. No, I'm not saying that. No, it, to get them to Kelsey and Swift. Season game. Kelsey and Swift. Is that just the NFL's script? Yes. <laughs> Whatever, man. They're America's sweethearts. Oh my gosh! How so dare you? What's too bad is reality show in the off season. You they already watch. have the halftime entertainment for the Super Bowl named. I think it's like Usher. Oh, uh, get rid of him! Yeah, but you what could have her do the national anthem right after she breaks up with him in the oh tunnel. It would how be amazing such a would that be? Yeah, I'd be interested in watching that game. I, would I really don't I want the Chiefs to get anywhere near the Super Bowl, though. So uh, I hate that I scroll through TikTok and every few swipes is uh, is is the Kelsey brothers. It's like I don't need to hear from you. I love though that like when they first whatever became an item, the NFL like, basically started doing a primer for football for women, like Taylor Swift fans that were all yeah. of a sudden watching football because of this. I thought it was. No, that was pretty clever. I know the NFL gets a lot of crap, but there's a reason they're the biggest league in the in the world. You know, when it comes to marketing, nobody really does it better than them. And and it's pretty funny too. I I'm a fan of the Kelsey Brothers podcast, but they're trying to address that. You know, they'll have female viewers uh, email them and say, "Hey, answer this question for me." And it's funny to watch these professional football players that have been doing this their entire lives break it down to, okay, what exactly is a first down or what is a incomplete pass? You know, just really, really, really basic stuff. It's hilarious to watch them stumble their way through it. It is because, man, football is so confusing. Like, it's such a confusing sport because – so during Thanksgiving, I was watching the Packers play, and um, we were at my brother-in-law's house, and his son was watching the game, and he likes football, but he's 11, and he doesn't know all the rules, really, or anything like that. He's just excited. Mm -hmm. And so I started, like, calling plays or penalties get called. He's like, well, what's this? And it's so, like, basically every play, 
I am explaining what happened. And it's very like when you're just watching it, you don't think about it, you know, cause we just love the game and we've watched it for so long. But like when you explain it to someone, you're like, well, okay. So what is intentional grounding? That's a great question. Let's break yeah. this down. And like, you know, well, why was this a penalty? But that wasn't, and it's, mm-hmm. it, it, there's a lot there, man. Like it's, it's a it's a very mentally you know intensive game. I don't know that wasn't a penalty because that referee's on the take. That's yeah, why. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a penalty because Tom Brady wasn't playing. Um, here's a here's a question. Yeah has has ESPN done that to us? Meaning, you know, their highlights and their little ten second clips of you know here's a hail mary or you know quick quick hitter touchdown highlights as opposed to sitting down, watching the games of old, learning the rules, that kind of thing. Have we learned the rules just because we're interested in sports? Or do you think the newer generations don't know it as well because of whatever? That's a good question. I think I think I, I understand the flow of the game pretty well yeah. uh, in the NFL. And like – you know, because you, when you when you're just sitting there watching it on your dad's 25 inch TV, and there are no pauses, there are no breaks, you can kind of get a sense for how a game is going to go. Yeah. But it's so wild because you watch a game now, you know, and it's like they're constantly pausing the action, even in the game, and like doing the Amazon, you know, you know what was the percentage chance of this play? And it's like I don't really care what the percentage chance of that play was, like. I, I, I just want to watch the game unfold. And, you know, when you watch it enough or if you ever played it as a kid or whatever, it's like you can kind of see. It's like, oh, this guy's going to blitz or no, he's going to back off or this receiver is going to cut off. Like you can get, just kind of sense that stuff from just watching it over and over and over again. And I think in that sense, it's probably a different appreciation for the game than younger fans have, because I think you're right, because they always show the highlights because they're awesome no doubt, but it's like, there's so much more going on that you don't see because you're so distracted by the, the Odell Beckham one-handed catch sort of right. thing. Right. So I'm curious though, cause we go back to the conversation we had before we went live and, and we're oh, so recording welcome to this episode of Dad history Woo! Uh, is I know like Amazon, they were doing the analytics, right? Where they were putting yeah. up the best likely routes and how to stop them and all that kind of stuff. At what point, and I'm sure the NFL will have, you know, some way of combating this, but having the coach with a camera, right, and he can look at his iPad and he can see how the offense is lined up and all the analytics will tell him, here's what's most likely to happen and here's to counter it. Go ahead and make a call. I think that, I mean, a lot of people would hate that, but as a coach – here's the thing that's most likely to happen. Here's what analytics say. So now you have to start coaching around that, right? Yeah. We have to be unpredictable. We have to be, um, you know, not following kind of the standard. And I don't know if this is just me being an old man, maybe, but like one of the things I hate and do you guys remember, uh, was it Grantland by Bill Simmons that Grantland, and some of the stuff, I loved a lot of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it was really good storytelling. But some of the things that came out of that were like, I think it was Bill Barnwell who loved like getting into the analytics. And like, I don't, 
really like I understand why it's important, but it's also like that doesn't excite me. And so like when they're watching the game and like the coach, Dan Campbell, the Lions coach loves he's super aggressive. And it's fun watching him because he's so aggressive, even though on Thanksgiving it sort of bit him. You know, he's like, well, should he have gone for that fourth down there when a field goal, you know, and all that stuff. And it's like, who cares about the analytics, man? Just, like, watch the game and appreciate it for what it is. And, like, I think in that sense, you know, a lot of the players and these coaches that are creative, you know, they look at the analytics and they understand the advantages it gets them and they understand why going for it on fourth down makes sense. But it's also, like, it's still football and it's still a mentality. And you got to have that mentality of, like, I need to be more aggressive than the other team. And I need to be able to take these risks here. And when you see that in a coach or a player or a team, it's so exciting instead of like, you know, some poindexter just crunching the numbers like, whoa, it's like, stop. I don't care about that. Like just well, the other side of that is, yeah, everybody appreciates a guy being ballsy and making an interesting play call and that kind of thing. But mm -hmm that's grounds for firing too if you say oh yeah the, it doesn't work analytics say and you went against them why did you do that you have to justify yourself now and it makes mm -hmm. coaches, it makes scouts especially too skittish of hey i'm gonna take this guy that looks good you know that can run the four three forty all of that kind of stuff but that's where guys like russell wilson or something slip in the draft and you know, he mm -hmm. won a Super Bowl and had a great career and, and all of that. So there's always that tension between analytics and, and gut feel. And I'm, I'm yeah. So I want to, that, that brings, that brings me to mind. Uh, so like three, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, our uh, junior high boys uh, played in their, the division a flag football championship for our league. And we got to host the game and our team was pretty good. A lot of seventh graders doing a lot of the heavy lifting uh, this game went back and forth a bit. Game ended, not ended. Regulation came to an end. And so at that point, uh, the referees are like, hey, uh, what's the what's your league's rule for overtime? And I kind of shrugged my shoulders. I don't know. I'm not the league expert. Or I'm not the rule expert. Went over, took a look at the book, and it's uh, essentially college rules, right? Um, except it's you have one play. For a one-point conversion or one play for a two-point conversion. Oh, cool. So the first team that gets possession chooses one point or two points, goes for it. And then the second team goes for it. So we were playing a team that was very aggressive. They scored on the very first play of the game from, like, the other side of the field. So uh, we get set up and our boys go for one. The coach is like, I'm going to go for one. And he did, and we scored it. So it's 41-40. And the other coach goes for two. Whoa. So it's like one play. That's it. Whoa. One play. That's it. Play for and, the tie. Uh, play for the win. They, uh, they had not thrown an interception all game. They had been lights out, especially when they got towards the end zone. They were like – their guys were just zipping all over the end zone, uh, just finding the open spot, and the quarterback could find it every time. And uh, this one time, they went for two, quarterback drops back, sees the guy in the corner, goes for it. The one time in the game that our player spied it, saw it, intercepted it, game over. 
Cool. It was such a cool way to end the game. That's awesome. But yeah, like walk off interception. Analytics tell you that's that's uh you know going for two there. Yes, if you get it. Yes, you've done well there, but it's still riskier. And for our team, it was we've we've struggled with this all season. This is or, or with all this all game. This is gonna be tricky to stop them. And then mm-hmm. they did. Uh, it was. So, so, so much fun coach now yeah. on the hot seat eric is that opposing coach on the hot seat for next year probably yeah. most of the schools kind of go through <laughs> coaches pretty quick <laughs> well since we're talking about the nfl um the nfl came out with their hall of fame semifinalist list this week and so it's been knocked down to 25 i'm going to list them in order of position so there is one cornerback on the semifinalist list. Eric Allen played for the Eagles. Um, he also played for the Saints and the Raiders. Uh, he played from 1988 to 2001. Only one is cornerback. Uh, defensive ends. You got this. Is, I think this defensive end group is pretty solid. You got Jared Allen, um, Dwight Freeney, mm. Robert Mathis. And then Julius Peppers. I think Dwight Freeney or Julius, I think they're in. I mean, those guys belong in. I'm not saying Mathis and Allen don't, but Dwight Freeney was a monster. (laughs) Yeah, Freeney was a beast for a long time. Like his heyday was with the Colts, but yeah, he was good for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. You know, years later. Yeah, I, I think he's deserving of it. Uh, you got one offensive tackle, Willie Anderson, played for the Bengals from 96 to 2007, then played one year at the Ravens. Um, running backs, I think this group is – I talked to you about this earlier, Cameron. I don't – maybe it's just because I don't appreciate running backs as much. But Tiki Barber played for the Giants for a decade – Eddie George, who I think is the best of the bunch in this four, played uh, 10 years for the Jags, and he played a few years for the Patriots. And then Ricky Waters, um, who played for the Niners, Eagles, and Seahawks. That's a name. That, man. Ricky, the one running Waters. Yeah, right? that's a name. Saints? Played for the Saints, right? With Dicka? I honestly Waters. don't even remember. I just I remember hearing that name so many times. I want to say Dolphins, but... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know too many sports before, like I was six, seventh grade when I really started paying attention mm-hmm. and anything before that time didn't really compute for me. I'm thinking of someone else. Yeah. Um, wide receiver group. You got one, probably Aaron, uh, you like this one, Eric, uh, Anquan Bolden. Yeah. Tori Holt, who is a monster for that Rams team. Mm. Andre Johnson, uh, who played for the Texans for a decade. Uh, Steve Smith, senior, who played primarily for the Panthers. But I think he won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Uh, Heinz Ward, who was just incredible. He was like the Donald Driver of Pittsburgh. Like he was one of those guys you could knock him down, but he just kept popping up and smiling every time you hit him. Yeah. He won two rings with the Steelers. And then Reggie Wayne. That's a tough group. If you had to pick one out of that group, who would you pick? 
had to pick one out of that group. It was a yeah. wide receivers. Uh, I mean, my opinion would be Reggie Wayne. I think he was really, really good. I I would go Heinz Ward. Yeah, I think I'd probably go Heinz Ward too. I liked Bolden. I thought Bolden was really fun. And I think he probably deserves to be in there. I don't know if he deserves to be in there above Heinz Ward. Um, so what's God, what's the percentage, Jake? Like you have to be voted a certain percentage in order to get into the Hall of Fame. How's that? Uh, I think uh, so. Once it gets down to like the top ten finalists, yeah. um, you have to win eighty percent of the vote to make it. I don't know. God, I mean, I, I think. I like Steve Smith. I don't, I might think he might be the weakest of this group. Um, Reggie Wayne is so good. He was yeah, so he, good for so long. What's, from Peyton, though. what's he did. the, uh, I don't know if he's that good without Peyton. Yeah. I mean, Steve Smith was really good with Jake DeLone. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's why Steve belongs in there. You know, it's, it's interesting when I, when I look at two of those receivers, um, one of the things that I always look at is how their peers speak about them. Yeah. So I've, I've read articles and I've heard uh, quotes of guys talking about Antoine Bolden's toughness. Like he was the <coughs> guy on the team um, as a receiver. Like he would, you know, the, the linemen were scared of him. And um, he was a big dude. It right. He was like from a really rough neighborhood somewhere in Florida. And there's a whole story. I wrote it, read an article on him one time. So, I mean, I'm not saying he's the best of that bunch, but I think that's noteworthy when your peers really respect you in that. Well, way. and I, I think Steve Smith is kind of in that category too. He's a little so, guy, but he was on the cap, the captain of every team he was ever on. It seemed like that's true. Antoine Bolden, the year the Cardinals went to the, went to the Super Bowl, he got his jaw wired shut earlier in that yeah, season. Yeah. He got almost decapitated. Uh, brutal hit. I remember that hit. So, Fitz, uh, Larry Fitzgerald is not eligible until 2026. Yeah. But uh, is this – so this was a few years ago. Max Kellerman uh, said he might uh, – the, the article says uh, he questions if Larry Fitzgerald is worthy of Hall of Fame. What? Kind of an odd article. But he's not eligible until 2026. How long do you have to be out before you can – Five years. Five years, yeah. Hmm. Larry Fitzgerald. Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, out of receivers that have never won a Super Bowl, you've got Megatron, To, and Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. Like, and oh, I guess Randy Moss. Randy Moss is probably the top of that list, but Larry Fitzgerald is an—he was incredible for so long. Yeah. Like, how could you not? That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, tight ends, you got Antonio Gates. I think he's a first ballot guy. I think this is his first year. Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Uh, guards, uh, so offensive guard, you have Jari Evans. Played a decade for the Saints. He was really good on that Super Bowl team. Uh, he played one season for the Packers. I don't know enough about him other than that. All right, Linebackers. You got London Fletcher. Hmm. 
He was really good, especially for the Redskins. Um, he was on that Rams team that won. James Harrison. And then Patrick Willis. Those are three really good linebackers. Yeah, those guys are I, deserving. So I've, I don't I've know. 10 from this list to get them into the Hall of Fame. That's all I get. Well, from 10, five, I think five get selected, I think. Is wow, how dang. Yeah. <laughs> it's, These are some big names. I know. I think that's a stacked linebacker group. I think the linebackers and receivers are the toughest groups right now. Maybe defensive ends. Um, Harrison might be the most terrifying guy in the history of the NFL. Uh, Instagram page and just the feats of strength that he posts. It's unbelievable. And sorry, Eric, he has probably one of the greatest Super Bowl moments ever with that pick six at the end of the half in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals running 99 yards. Yeah. Almost dying of a heart attack. <laughs> that was that that moment is Hall of Fame worthy. That's how good he was. That's impressive. Uh, but I, on his Hall of Fame, you know, in his area or whatever, when they show the video, they need to show show it of him like playing volleyball, beach volleyball with like a forty pound medicine ball. You got to catch it, and throw it back. It is unbelievable. Yeah, like he jumps in the bottom of a pool and fights a pit bull with weights on and then jumps up and, like, he's yeah. not human, whatever he is. Yeah. Uh, safeties, you've got Darren Woodson and uh, Rodney Harrison. That's it for the safety group. Both really good. I like Rodney. I really like listening to Rodney's commentary. Um, I don't know if they're better than some of these other position groups though. Yeah. I guess Rodney, he won a couple of rings. I think he won at least one ring with new England. Darren Woodson was a niner killer, man. That guy was, yeah, he was that Cowboys team. Oh, they were man. fearsome. Punt returner, kick returner, wide receiver, Devin Hester. Yeah, he makes he's, it he's hands down the best kick returner ever. Ever. So he's, right. He's in there for sure. And then defensive tackle, Vince Wilfork. Was he really that good, or did he just have a big personality? Is that kind of he like had a big a, personality? Was he pot? Was that, he was pot roast, right? Isn't that what they call him? Oh, I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I he's not that good. Was he? Like, was he a perennial pro bowler and all of that? I don't know. Huh. He might be the rare Patriots and never win a Super Bowl. No, he had to have won a Super Bowl. Oh, no, he did. I'm, I'm wrong. He won. Uh, five Pro Bowls, three second-team All-Pros, and one first-team All-Pro. Yeah, I I would say he's he's deserving. Right. When you get when you get four All-Pro nods, that's pretty impressive. They list him at 6'2", 325. There's no way that guy's 325. <laughs> yeah, maybe in high school. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's our NFL semifinalists. I think, gosh, if I had to pick five, uh, God, I'd probably go Dwight Freeney, Eddie George, Hines, Antonio Gates, and then Fudge. Let's give it to Vince Wolfork. Those would probably be my five, and I'm not super confident on any of them. 
I got Julius Peppers, Eddie George, Heinz Ward, Patrick Willis, and Devin Hester. Uh oh, he froze. Patrick Willis and Devin Hester. Devin. I'd like Devin to get in there. How about you, Eric? You got a five? No, I can't remember those names. I, <laughs> those are, yeah. You'll just wait till Larry Fitzgerald's eligible? Yep, basically. That's my plan. That works for me. All right. <laughs> so, uh, I saw this Is article. Like, What's that? What was that? We're good. Okay, yeah. we're good. Yeah, I, I picked my five. Let's do it. Um, I want to talk right. about the lamest generation next. That's what I was going to go towards. Thank you. That's perfect segue. So, so I, lamest I gotta, generation. I got to check this out, and I'm sure you have some uh, some hot takes on this, Eric. But I haven't seen it. I well, but you've, you've got yeah, strong I'm, opinions. I'm kind of on skimming it. so, right it's just which is the lamest. Well, yeah. So, so there's, there's a list of the lamest generations in American history. So we've got the greatest generation. I, born I, you Gen know, Z, everybody on everybody on 1927, which everybody on uh, that would be the worst. Well, like everybody, um, you know, we've complains got about what generation's the better or worse. Generation between 1928 and 45, and I guess that's because there's not a lot of. It was between the two wars. You know, I mean, middle of World War II. Um, baby boomer generation, I think, gets a lot of credit. Built this country, that kind of thing. Gen X. There's been no Gen Generation X president of the United States so far. Interesting. That is a fun fact. Um, Millennia. Uh, we've had, we went, uh, our, we have two presidents who are boomers. Clinton well, and Obama. No. Yeah. And W. And W. And W. And then we went back to the silent generation, right? Well, then we went back. Right. So, Biden no, we had Clinton, W, Obama. Then we went to Trump. Who I Is think for real? I think when was Trump born? He's seventy six. So he might yeah, be a I very mean, old boomer. You know, relatively young guy, and that hasn't happened. Wow. So, so Trump is was born in forty six. So Trump is as old as a boomer can get. So we had, and then we went back to the silent generation with Joe Biden. Because we're like, Sometimes no, Gen X, never Gen X. In the middle of that generation, you'd be in your 50s right now. You went right? from never Trumpers to just never Gen Xers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, no, do not elect a Gen Xer. <laughs> so, uh, which means. If Newsom becomes the next president, I got to believe he's he would be. Yeah. Newsom would be right. if DeSantis tries to run again in, I mean, that's, in that's 28. That's probably he would, best. Person. Anybody breathing is a Gen X. I, I mean, Gen Xs are not young anymore. I mean, they're in, you know, some no, of them are like, I mean, late 65 is not that long ago. Yeah. So no, but it's very sprightly compared to the compared last to couple Biden of presidents. Yeah. Yeah, fair. So, how old is uh, Biden? 
Biden just turned 81. 81. So he was born oh in 1942. Gosh. So that's there's a 23 year gap. I didn't think D Day was that long ago. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, Joe. Yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, that's a 23 year gap between Biden and the beginning of Gen X. That that's the stat of the day right there. No Gen X POTUS so far. Millennials, our generation, 81 to 96. Gen Z, obviously, is coming up. And Gen Ugh. Alpha, I didn't know that was a thing. They're just making I just this stuff it up. up now. Yeah. And, and when is Gen like Alpha? I've, I've always been yeah. very interested by, like, how, how do they decide what a generation is? From because the silent generation is only 17 years, the baby boomer generations, yeah. And these numbers, like 15, some of these are 18. Yeah. And if you go, like, I don't get it, some of these are in different six years, different sources and different websites have different like start dates. They arrive at that and who the they is, it's just mysterious Illuminati. Makes but, sense. Yeah. I, it's interesting huh. because I don't know. I, I was looking at, you know, like you have five year period, but the beginning and end years can be fluid depending on research and ever developing <laughs> definitions. So I would argue nowadays that people are waiting longer to have kids yeah, than ever for before, sure. right? Due to finances mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So I would think over time, the gap between generations would get bigger, not smaller. And, and I don't know yeah. why you would wait to have kids. They just get more expensive yeah, don't get the cheaper. later you wait. Okay, so speaking of, so let's figure this out. Which generation but yeah, complains you know, about the other generations? Yeah, I mean, you can, you can go a lot of directions with this, but... You know, the greatest generation is 26 years long. You know, people, that, that would be an interesting stat to say, you know, average age of mothers in each generation. Because I, I would argue that mothers are, are older and older now than they would, than they were in, in previous years. So, hmm. So... Here's, here's a question. Which generation complains about the other generations the most? Gen Z. Gen Z complains the <laughs> I most. Think, I think boomers complain a lot. Yeah, but, well, they just I complain think in general. Boomers and that kind of thing. I think Gen Z and, Gen, and the boomers hate each other at a basic level, like an animalistic brain level. Okay, so I can't be heard. I yeah, see Jake's uh, cursor there, but he's not saying I can't hear I him. I can hear him. You can hear him? Yeah. Hear him translate for us. Uh, I forget. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Gen Z and, and boomers hate each other at an animalistic level. <laughs> it's like cerebral. Just... Yeah. No, no. Uh, it's the, the the cortex, right? Yeah, the lizard brain. Cortex, lizard yes. brain. 
Yeah. <laughs> Just Gen Z thinks of boomers as useless mouths and <laughs> boomers think of Gen Z as nothing but degenerates. Yep. Mm. And both are correct. Yeah, they're both <laughs> as a as a borderline Gen X millennial. Uh they're we're both right correct. In the sweet spot. So what year were you born in? You were eighty one. Okay, so you're, yeah, you're borderline. What when you think Gen X, what do you think of, Eric? Because I think like uh, social change and open mindedness and that kind of thing. No, uh, I think of people that are older than me. Actually, I think of myself as I think I'm like uh, the millennial. I, I would agree with that. So you think um, of just, but but what is that generation known for historically? Gen X. Yeah. So when I think of Gen X, I think of like alt sure. rock, grunge. Yeah. You know. So according um, to this, according to this article that that we pulled up, Gen Xers are the most relevant generation of modern times in relation to technology. And they serve as a bridge from older populations to younger. So the boomers, you know, get the bad, bad rap of being old and get off my lawn and that kind of thing. They're the bridge between millennials and. <laughs> I think of Gen X as the ones who built the modern technological innovations. Right. And then millennials are the ones that did something useful with it. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, we lost Jake. Yeah, sure did. And my 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 video is 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 getting wonky. I don't know if you see that getting those purple stripes across it, but there he is. He's back. Yeah, here we go. Purple. So as I was explaining to Cameron, I think oh, of sorry. Gen X as uh like <clears throat> building the the technological infrastructure that is so critical today useful with it like put up I think power, it, right jake yes what yeah wait so hold on can you guys hear me yes, yes. yeah I, hear I think gen xers were a bunch of feral children that just ran around the streets half naked covered in dirt and then they talk about how tough they are constantly but they're not that tough they're not that tough they're a bunch of bums <clears throat> they listen to grunge they listen to alt rock you know they're nothing like they think they're so great because they basically got ignored. And that's why America doesn't want them as presidents. That's what I think of when I think of Gen X. We want to keep ignoring. Like we collectively decided we don't want you in charge. We're going to just skip you and go straight to the millennials. Or we'll go back to Joe Biden. That's that's our threat. We're willing He's to take 80 year old and 77 year old men and reelect them as president. Instead over of letting it and over and over. This is what I. <laughs> Jimmy Carter is still around. Give him another shot. Uh, the Gen X, you know, Rosalind Carter just passed away. I do. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't know if you've seen some of the clips of her funeral. Her grandson um, gave a banger of a eulogy. That was amazing. That was fantastic. If you haven't seen it, go look it up. But they're like, we like, drank water out of a hose. And it's like. The silent generation didn't have running water. Like, I don't <laughs> you think you're so tough. The greatest generation fought the Nazis. Like, 
we're not tougher than them. Like, just give it up. We do a lot of things better than they did, but toughness ain't one of them. And that's fine. That's fine. It's fine. I don't. I don't need you listing all of the all the wonderful things you did with that technology mm-hmm. on the most advanced technology we, ha- we have available. Yeah, Not that that's Facebook, but on the internet. Just have oh, Chat GPT write your uh, your your sob story about your rough life. Exactly. There you go. Then Chat GPT like the really you're complaining. Combination yeah. of those two. Yeah. So anyway, which generation? Would you have watch your kids out of this list? Gosh, not the, the Gen X. I'm not. The baby boomers are are responsible. They're steady. They they like to play games on their phone a lot, Cameron. Baby boomers. <laughs> they play yes. a lot of Wordle. They do. <laughs> yeah, Just I mean, sitting there. Swiping away, building uh, their their farms on Facebook. They're still doing that. Great vocabulary with their wordle skills. (laughs) You know what? what If you you need a warm body in the room, boomer it is. If you need a cold body in the room, Gen X. Yeah. I think as a millennial, I'm a very good parent, but I wouldn't want other millennials watching my kids. Does that make sense? Uh, good call. So I'd probably, I'd probably pick like a young boomer. I don't want someone born in 46. My son will run them into the ground, but maybe a boomer born like in the early 60s. Yeah. Okay. That'd be fine. Uh, which generation would be most likely to rob a 7-Eleven? Gen X, because they know X. what a 7-Eleven is. Yeah. Well, they talk about how when they were growing up, 7-Eleven slushies were way better than they are now. Because Hold they on. Had, you know, Rob or smash and grab? Is a robbery Gen more Z, Well, Gen Z would <laughs> smash, Gen and Z grab. Would smash and grab. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say Gen Z. <laughs> All right, Gen Z. A lot of the 7-Eleven. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> All right. So, moving on after that illuminating conversation. Oh, and there's one generation that comes before that. I think they're called the Lost Generation, and they were the people born from 1880 to 1900, which makes sense because um, nobody cares about them. Um, they all got wiped out in World War One, too. <laughs> but, know, you know, no biggie. Spanish American War. Um, <laughs> all right. So, even if you haven't watched the movie, Eric. Brewster's Millions. It's a 1985 classic starring Richard Pryor, John Candy, and a plucky Rick Moranis. Um, also a vivacious Jerry Orbach. Do you guys remember Ann Ross's husband? Yeah, Mike. Mike yeah. Ross. Didn't he look like Jerry Orbach from Law & Order? <laughs> he Didn't did. he? <laughs> That's a good call. <laughs> Dan on. Mike, Mike Ross. Jerry Orbach. Um Anyway, so the, the premise of the movie, and it's actually based on a novel from 1902 written by George Barr McCutcheon called Brewster's Millions. In the novel, um, a man by the name of Montgomery Brewster has one year to spend a million dollars of his grandfather's estate. Um, if he does, his uncle, who hated his grandfather, will give him $7 million. But if he can't spend the million in a year, he doesn't get anything else from his uncle. 
in the movie, um, the, the stakes are raised and Montgomery Brewster is given 30 days by his uncle, his great uncle to spend $30 million. And the rules for that spending are you cannot own anything at the end. You can't have any assets. You can give away 5%. You can gamble 5%. Um, you can hire people, but they must provide a service. So you can't just pay somebody to be walk around with you. Um, and you cannot buy like expensive art and then destroy it. You have to, if you buy something, you, you have to keep it. So you can't just buy something and then ruin it that, that you, uh, you know, void out of the clause or whatever. Um, or you can opt out of the bet and just get a million dollars. So you either get a million or you try to spend 30 million in 30 days and possibly get 300 million. So I think the key to this spending mm -hmm. the 30 days and 30 million is going to a really, you know, high priced, uh, personal trainer or chef or all of the, you know, have people provide a very expensive service. Yep. So every day, every hour of my day would be scheduled with my karate teacher and then off. Yeah. And I think, I mean, in the movie, so Richard Fryer is Montgomery Brewster in the movie. One of the things he does is he like finds the most expensive hotel in New York and he books it for the month. He gets all these fancy dinners. Um, yeah. You can tip the staff, but you can't tip them a million dollars. Like it has yeah. to be within that like 15 to 20 percent of whatever the bill is. And I think one of the things he did is he hired uh, he like rented out Yankee Stadium and hired the Yankees to play like an exhibition game with him. Cool. So that's how he did it, uh, among other things. So I think you're right. You got to like find these super high end luxury services and classes and, and events that you can spend a lot of money on and not get anything out of it other than the time. Renting out but, Yankee Stadium. That's a good idea. <laughs> I know. It's pretty baller. <laughs> so would you guys, here's the question. I don't think it's hard to spend 30 million in 30 days at all. Uh, now that we've talked through it, I I would roll the dice and get the 300 mil. Especially with inflation the way it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Get to 30 real quick. <laughs> Go to the grocery store for crying yeah, out loud. Eric's gas so, bill in California. <laughs> I think part of it is, uh, you know, what do you what do you consider giving it away? Can I can I take all my best friends on a private jet from wherever they are? So private jets for all of them. And we're all going to get front row tickets to Taylor Swift one you know, seven nights in a row on, on the second, on the secondary market tickets, right? Can I do that? Or is that giving them the money away? Well, you're buying things of value. So you're, you're, you're buying the tickets. That is a thing of value, but it's not, so it's that, for somebody's it's kind of a gift. Yeah. But I mean, John Candy is his buddy and like, he gets to do a bunch of the stuff with him too. So it's not like Brewster just has to do it by himself. Yeah, I, I think it would it would require bringing people in being like here, are like these 10, 15 people closest to me. You're all getting suites at the best hotels. We're all having fancy dinners. I'm buying tickets for all of you. I'm flying you wherever we need to go for this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think when they say give away, I think they're talking like charity, like you just give. I mean, 
I'm paying all off all the right referees in the NBA finals. <laughs> yeah, <thing>. exactly. <laughs> Cause I think one of the things they did was John, he gave John Candy money to invest in the stock market thinking it would lose money. Then he'd have a bunch of worthless stock, but then he accidentally gained money. So he had to like quick sell it and then find a different way to get rid of it. But, um, Anyway, so you'd go for the 300. I think I would go through for the 300. Even if I failed, that would be the wildest month of my life. Yeah. Even if you didn't make it, you would have the greatest, craziest month of your life that the stories alone would be worth it. Here is the first thing I would do, Jake, is I would hire um, Aaron Aziala as my money spending <laughs> consultant. I don't know He's really good at spending money, but we um, <laughs> we all put in a couple bucks when the when the lotto was like five hundred million. And this was years ago when we were all working together, and we spent an unbelievable amount of time standing around the water cooler talking about how we would spend our theoretical money. And I came yep. away from that conversation with two takeaways: one is Aaron is the best spender of theoretical money that I've ever seen. And two, 500 million bucks is not that much when you start talking through all the ways you can spend. Yeah. Yeah, no, Aaron would have a lot of great ideas to get rid of that money fast. Yeah. So that'd be good. Hire him on a retainer to help you spend that money. Exactly. And he's just providing a great service the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think i'll wrap up our episode for tonight so uh thank you guys all for joining us uh if you liked what you saw uh, make sure you guys like subscribe follow and uh, thank you so much have a great day in history we'll catch y'all later bye um i think that was the advent too jake of when joe first turned me on